We are Anthem Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. For all the info you need, visit anthemforall.org and follow at Anthem Church Chicago. Man, I'm just excited to be with you guys today. So many, every single one of the songs that we sang this morning, the words that came forward, I just was like, thank you, Jesus. That's setting up this message perfectly. Thank you, Jesus. And it just shows like he orchestrates things. I didn't know that that was going to happen, but he has a plan. And I just want to say before I get started, we're going to get lots of Bible today. We're going to get some theology. We're going to get just a hopeful vision for the future. But just the gospel is so good, just so powerful. And he is doing a new thing. And I don't know about you guys, but I just feel like close to the Lord right now. And he's here. The spirit is with us. And so I just want to live into that right now. And um, to get started, would you guys open your Bibles to Philippians 3.12? Philippians 3.12. Last week, Steve talked to us about the beauty of God's grace to us and about how it's a grace that's so rich that we don't have to rely on our resumes or rely on our pedigrees to get into right relationship with God. We can just rely on Jesus, what he already did What he already did made a way for us. That was everything. He accomplished it. And as Steve said, the Christian life, it's not grace plus effort or grace plus awesome strategy or grace plus status. It's grace plus nothing. That is such good news for us. And if you guys weren't here last week or if those ideas are are kind of new to you, I'm really excited to get into them today. We're going to pick up exactly where we left off last week. And we're going to be in a letter from a guy named Paul. And Paul was a guy who persecuted the church, opposed the church, and he was trying to get right with God in his own power. And then, like this testimony from Matt, this is amazing, and then Paul had this encounter with Jesus and everything changed. When he encountered Jesus, he he became sold out to God because he knew that God loved him and God wanted him just the way he was, not because of anything he, he had done and not because of anything he could do. And then instead of running to, to fight and oppose Christians, he started running to help them encounter the Lord. And so this story from Matt, this woman, the gospel is still doing that today. People's lives, people who are opposing the gospel, or people who are just sort of like, oh, trying to get by, the Lord can radically change people's lives like that and make them not just like, oh, become right with God, but they are excited to push forward with the gospel for the kingdom. And so that's why I love this passage, this whole passage, because I think it describes something that we can resonate with. It describes something that is just so real about the world. It describes what the gospel does, and it describes the world as kind of like a race. It's this this journey that we're in. And the people around us, people are running toward all kind of different paths to all kind of different ends. But when we encounter Jesus in those ways, Paul says here, it simplifies things for us. He helps us to see how to run in the grace given to us toward glory. And that was kind of a a sentence right there. But what I want to say and what I want us to see is how to run in God's grace toward glory. And I will explain what what I mean by that as we get into it. But let's just start with Philippians 3.12, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. And Holy Spirit, please just help us to receive your word Please help us to be changed by your word. We don't want to leave today the way that we came. So Philippians 3.12, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on 
to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Okay, so the picture that we have here is of a race. Paul is racing, and he sees something ahead of him something that he's pressing on toward. But the important thing to see for us right now is that Paul and us, we're we're in the middle of the race. We haven't yet gotten to the end. We haven't attained what's at the finish line. And what's Paul talking about when he says this? What's his goal? Well, I think he's referring to verses 10 and 11 in our chapter, which came right before. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So we're all racing, and and Paul is telling us what's at the finish line of our race for those who follow Jesus. And I think we should all care about what's at the finish line, right? Because we don't run a race to stop halfway. We don't run a race to, to go off track. If any of you have, had any of you run the race, any of you run the marathon, bless you guys if you did. But I assume if you did that, your, your goal was to finish, whether you did or not. And, and I mean, I can't imagine what's going on in the mind of someone who runs a marathon, but my understanding is that you intend to finish. And what does Paul say is at the finish line? What is his prize? He says he wants to know Christ to know him fully, especially he wants to know the power of Jesus' resurrection. And that means the power of dead things being brought back to life. And he wants to know participation in Jesus' sufferings. And today's passage tells us that Paul doesn't yet have all that. He doesn't yet have the full prize. Verse 13, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Now, for those who were here last week, Steve told us that the ultimate prize is Jesus. That's always the prize. The prize is not righteousness by itself. It's the one who can make you righteous. The prize is Jesus. So maybe, therefore, maybe that's a little confusing, especially if you are a Christian, because, like, I'm a Christian, so I know Jesus, right? Of course I do. I I have his spirit. I I have his book. I've experienced his power, and, like, we've been singing to him. We we talk to Jesus. I've been talking to Jesus as I pray. So I know Jesus, But Paul is saying there's something about knowing Jesus that he doesn't have yet. Maybe you guys have heard this idea before of, if you want to know what you're going to be like in five years, look at the five people you're closest to. 
And it's this idea that we become like the people we know the best. Paul wants to know Jesus the best. Wants to know him so deeply, so totally, to become more and more like him. That's what, that's what I want too. The idea of knowing someone like, it's a little different than maybe we talk about knowing people. In the Bible, the idea of knowing someone means you have this intimate relationship with, with them. It means that your lives have this enmeshed together feeling to it. So the way I want to think about the prize and the way that I think Paul is thinking about it is that right now, in the middle of our race, we have so much blessing. We have freedom, so many testimonies. Like, the Lord is doing new things. We have all of Christ's righteousness now. And at the end of the race, McKaylee pointed to this, there's, there's more. At the end of the race, we will see Jesus face to face. We will get that total intimacy with God. And as we fully, fully gain Christ, I want to say that we gain Christ-likeness. And that means we become all the way like Jesus, where we have unbroken nearness to God, where our bodies are no longer weak, and where all of our temptations and our failures are just replaced with worship to God. And now there's a lot wrapped up in there, and there might be some questions that I, I hope I can answer, but I kind of think that we, we know this. I think we know this intuitively, that something better is possible. Because have you ever dreamed of a time when you and the people you love won't be sick ever again? Have you longed for a time when you will never again give into temptation and do the stuff that you don't want to do? of a time when there will be perfect justice and perfect peace and the world won't be broken anymore. Well, that kind of perfection and glory, it comes through Jesus. And in so many ways, it is breaking into our reality now. And that's why we see people, there are testimonies in this church, we see people miraculously healed now. We are able to overcome sins now. And it's we know something better is possible, not because we can create it in ourselves, but because God brings it through his son, Jesus. And please don't hear what I'm not saying because it's so important to see, we are called to live out of the kingdom now, and we'll get to that later. Our church is so passionate about doing that. But when we get to the fullness of it, when the kingdom is all the way inaugurated here, we are going to be, like, our minds are going to be blown. It's going to be ridiculously beyond what we can imagine. We just thank you, Lord, for doing things now, and we cannot wait for that. And it, maybe you've heard this great C.S. Lewis quote. It says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And it, I think that's why some people run toward other things. They're running toward success and money and relationships, maybe because like, they know something better is possible, but the world is saying, this is the best thing. This is your heaven on earth. This is the best thing that is available to you. And while I think that those are misdirected, there's something even way better than that, I think it points to the fact that we know there's something more. All right. For those of you who know me, I'm about to do a little quick theology 101 just to drive, to describe the course of the Christian race. Because we're all racing, and when you encounter Jesus, like Paul did, like this woman did, like so many of us have, when you encounter him and give your life to him, that moment is called justification. And in that instant, in the blink of an eye, you get all of Jesus, all the forgiveness and you get all of Jesus' righteousness on you right then, nothing else required. And justification, that moment happens maybe at the beginning of your race, maybe, maybe in the middle, maybe toward the end of your race. 
But when it happens, we are permanently in right relationship with God. Nothing can change that. So there's justification, and then there's another word, and the word is sanctification. And sanctification is the idea that as soon as we have that experience, the Spirit of God begins to do something, or he's already been working, but he's doing this new thing in our lives where he's making us more like Jesus. He's bringing us into closer relationship with God the Father. But the difference, unlike justification, sanctification is a lifelong process. Ever since you have that moment, the rest of your life, you're being sanctified. It's this process, and we don't achieve it by by reading the right books or doing the right things or even coming to the right church. It's always the Spirit who sanctifies, and He can do it through all those things, but it's the Spirit who connects us to God or to Jesus. The Spirit is God, but He connects us. Okay, and then after we die, unless Jesus comes back before, it's after we die, we will be raised back to life. That's the resurrection. And remember, it's our resurrection. This is something that Paul says, this is a way he wants to know Jesus. He wants to know Jesus in the power of his resurrection. Something amazing that God promises to do for all of us. And then at the end of our whole race, we will come to know God all the way, fully, perfectly. And in knowing him, we become like him. And this last part, this last part of the journey is called, this gaining a full Christ-likeness is glorification. So justification, sanctification, and then glorification. We got some, lots of theologians here now. So we're racing, we're racing, and we have the spirit of God now. He's leading us. We have the righteousness of Christ now. But, but as we know, and as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So that's how I want us to think of the prize. It is always Jesus, and at the finish line, we get to know Jesus in his absolute fullness, which means all of the intimacy. It means all Christ-likeness. Not that we become God, but we get that Christ-likeness. And we taste that today. But we will fully become that when we are raised to life with God. Those who know him, we cannot wait for that. And Paul puts it another way, verse 14. He says again, I press on. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That upward call. Our whole series has been called Pressing On. What is that? What does that mean? What does pressing on mean? It means we keep going in the way of Jesus toward Jesus. It means the thing at the end of our race is worth giving everything to gain. Paul says he's pressing on to take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of him, to take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of him. And why did Jesus take hold of him? And why does he want to take hold of us? It's for the same thing. Jesus takes hold of us to know us, his his brothers and sisters, the Father's children, to know us intimately all the way out of his incredible love for you. He wants you to know him fully, even as you are fully known. And the way I think about it, maybe you've seen a a child sitting on a living room floor, and they look up, and their their father's there, just looking like so tenderly and so lovingly, and the little, little girl is just like reaching out her arms to wrap around her father, but her father has already swept her up, already holding her so close. 
They're taking hold of each other. But the father, the father has full grasp of the situation, but the little girl just wraps her arms around him and knows like, how safe and secure she is. And if you're a child of God, wow, sorry, Christ has taken hold of you. So let's live with our arms out. And if you're here and you don't know Christ yet, if you don't have your arms out, if you haven't felt that secure embrace of the Father, you're invited. You can fling out your arms too. And I just say, take hold of him. Take hold of him and you will find out that he has already taken hold of you. Okay, so... We have some context for our race. Now, now I'm going to look a little bit at how do we run our race. Look at the end of verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. A few things to see about the way that we're to run. First, we can leave behind the past. The belief statement of this church, of Anthem Church, is the power and presence of Jesus deeply transforms lives by gifting us intimacy with the Father, and here it is, and by freeing us from everything that holds us down and holds us back. We're free from what lies behind, and for Paul, this was huge. For all this is huge, but Paul was a dude who was killing Christians, and then Jesus met him. Jesus rescued him and called him, and now he doesn't have to live under that really, really terrible weight anymore. It also meant that, as we learned last week, Paul was free from all of his entitlement and his privilege, even the things that he could have been really proud of. Remember, Paul was this elite guy, the Hebrew of Hebrews, kind of a big deal, and now he forgets his resume, because even those things could tangle him up. Even those things could, he could stay there and live off that, but no, he's straining on. He's freed of those things. So, We need to apply this to ourselves. What is holding you back? What can you leave behind? What can you forget behind you so that you can run more freely and joyfully toward the prize? Some of us do hold on to our pasts. Or we think our past is holding on to us and maybe we've built kind of like a prison in the middle of our race course. And we feel like we cannot get past that. And maybe it's something, maybe it's really terrible. Maybe it's a childhood trauma or maybe it's a a bad relationship or maybe it's just some sin that we think, I cannot escape this. I'm just plagued by this guilt. And for all of this stuff weighing you down, I want to say, thank you, Jesus. There is help and there is hope for you in that. The Christian community, us, we were, the body of Christ is created in part to walk with you through that. At the end of our time today, we're going to have our ministry team come up, and we would love to be with you in it. That's what, we're, that's what we're here for in large part. And if you have even an inkling that you might want to talk to God or might have someone else talk to God on your behalf, come pray with us. We would love to do that with you. We want to go to the Lord with you and for you. And also, another thing, for real, therapy. My wife's a therapist, so I am a little bit biased, but we have lots of therapists. We have lots of fans Lots of people who have been blessed by that here, and that can be such a good thing. Our mind is being renewed. Let's let's fight for that. But beyond what we can do as, as divinely appointed people and beyond what professionals can do, it's Jesus. Jesus can and does free you from your past. Thank you, Lord. All right, so forgetting what's behind. 
The second way Paul says that we can run is to strain toward what, a, what is ahead. And it's so important to say here that the Christian life is not about the straining. It's not about striving. Those things cannot earn our way into heaven. We said it's grace plus nothing. Get the t-shirt. It's not, it's not grace plus our hard work. It's grace plus nothing. And yet, it's when we already have Jesus that we can strain forward and give that godly effort for Christ. We work hard out of our joy, not out of fear, and we, we press on in gratitude. Not because we think we can earn it more than Jesus did, Let's use our time and our talents and our energy to do that, to serve the Lord and to help other people cross the finish line too. But look, the point is not work harder. The point is not work harder because we're not running for the sake of running. It's because the journey is so good when it's with the Holy Spirit. It's because we are actually called by God to do this. And if I can be so bold, I just want to cast a little, not like over the church, but just some, cast some vision into our lives that whether you're a fast runner or slow, whether you're at the beginning of your race or the end, whether you are in a season or, or in a hard season or a tough season or a, a good season, there's something ahead of us. There's someone ahead of us, and he is why we run. He's the reason there's a race at all, and it reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. And this is a story where a young man who just badly, badly disrespects and dishonors his father. And he runs off and he gets into a bunch of trouble, but his journey ends up leading him back home. And part of the amazing thing about the prodigal son's journey is that it led him back to his dad, who loved him and who wanted him to to be there all along. But it's also that his dad came out running toward him too. He's As we reach for him, he's already reaching for us. In that story, Luke 15, 20, Luke says, but while he, the son, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And I just wanna run to the father. He's running toward me. I wanna forget the things that are holding me back. I wanna strain toward that thing that is ahead. Not because I like straining, but because I love my God and my God loves me and I just want to be there. I just want to be with him all the way. Paul says we should all take this approach. Verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. So these ways of running, forgetting what's behind, straining toward what is ahead, these are, are actually signs of our maturity. Since I, since I was a little kid, my, my family, we would go on lots of pretty regular backpacking trips. And I I was 12 years old, and we went to Glacier National Park. It was awesome, but I'll tell you, it was crazy hard. And it was also a little scary, because if you know, there are are actual bears in Glacier National Park. And I was kind of scared, and I remember, like, I I would complain, and I would groan about it. I'd be like, I want to turn around. I can't do this. But I also vividly remember that my dad, like, I was kind of annoyed, this hero father, he, like, he, he never felt any of that. He was so gracious and so like, patient with us. And, and the other thing was he was actually committed to it. He actually enjoyed hiking, even though he had to carry like, this 50-pound six-person tent for a family of six on his back. It was insane. But that was his attitude. He actually was excited to do it. And I sort of admired it, but yeah, I was sort of annoyed by it. I'm like, what is that? Dad, what is that? It did not make sense to me. But a couple years ago, 
my dad and my sister and I, we went, we went on another trip, we went to Wyoming to go backpacking. And this was also, this first day was insane, really, really tough, I felt. But the difference over the years, this time, I didn't complain. I didn't, it didn't even cross my mind to like turn around and go back. I never thought about quitting, and, and despite being sore everywhere, <laughs> I was actually enjoying it. Like I was happy to be out in the woods, filtering water, just rocking that elevation. And the difference over the years was maturity. The difference was that I saw the, whole, I saw the, the journey and the destination differently. But I, I want to say, again, this goes back, it wasn't just that I matured so now I could deal with the hard stuff better, although that is part of it. In my maturing, I had also like, gained the muscles to do it. I had become built to do this thing. And because of that, I could begin to see all this beauty, all this amazing stuff around me. I could enjoy it. And when I was a kid, I could only focus on what was 10 feet in front of me. I could barely do that. But as I got mature, I could see all of this amazing creation, all this amazing stuff around me, I was able to raise my eyes toward the goal. And in our passage, that's what Paul's doing. Paul is raising our eyes. He's not just saying, be more mature for the sake of your maturity. He's saying it's so good. It's so beautiful to walk with the Lord. And he's showing us not just 10 feet ahead. Paul is showing us the top of the mountain where the Lord is. I just want to be there. I just want to run to that. And as we become more mature in our faith, our attitude and our vision changes, and we can forget what lies behind. We can strain toward what's ahead, and we can do that with joy. God knows that we won't all see the journey exactly the same way. He says, if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. I like his kind of casualness about it. When we were backpacking, I remember there were times my sister really wanted to bring this food, and I was like, I really want to bring this food. And other times, my dad was like, we should cross the river here. And I said, no, we should cross the river there. And so there were, di- there were disagreements. But we couldn't let that stop us from moving forward together. And Paul says, in the early church, as we well know now, in the church capital C, there are disagreements. But Paul doesn't want us to get caught up in that stuff. Paul lived with this confidence and also so much like grace for other people. And just to be clear, Paul is not talking about disagreements over sort of the, the central heart of the gospel, that, because those are, that would be like disagreeing over whether or not there's a race or whether or not there's a finish line. But for most issues, Paul says, do not, don't get trapped in that. Like, it might be important, but don't get bitter about that. God's going to show you the way. And for those of you who know me, you know that I have some, like, I feel committed to things that I believe, and I have, like, strong opinions. But I know in myself, I don't want to be trapped in those things. I don't want to like, be separated from anyone else because of those things, even though I feel strongly about them. I want to run with confidence, but let's run with humility as well. And then verse 16, only let us live up to what we have already attained. So wherever we are in our walk with Jesus, we should be living up to that level of maturity. The point is to be growing. The point is not to be going backwards. And We shouldn't expect a new Christian to be as mature as someone who's been a Christian for 50 years. It wouldn't make sense. We all start out immature. Like, that's the definition of immaturity when you're starting out. The thing is, as we grow, as we walk with Jesus and other Christians, we should be becoming more Christ-like. That's sanctification. Let's be more like Christ. All right, now look at verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. 
And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So we're in a race, and we're moving toward the goal, and we're becoming more mature runners. And now Paul says a couple other interesting things about how to run. He says, we're united in the race. He says, join together. So all of this stuff, we've talked about unity a bunch, but all the stuff that separates us, the thing that the world thinks are these are important differences between us, in the body of Christ, most of those things do not matter. Like, we move together as one. And then another thing, follow. It says, follow Jesus. But this is interesting. Paul actually says to follow his example, Paul's example, and to keep your eyes on those who live as we do. And I love this because it shows to me that the Bible is not just some high, ethereal, unattainable theological idea. It's so, like, earthy and real because it's helpful to watch, like, other people around us, right? This is just helpful for us. And so an important lesson is, uh, this has been important to me, not that there was much jeopardy of this, but like never be the most mature Christian in the room. Never be the most mature Christian. We always want to be surrounded by people who, who see Jesus' footsteps better than we do. Because there, there will be times when you don't understand everything in God's word. And when you don't hear the Spirit's voice like as clearly as someone else, and that's, that's fine. We want to we be sanctified in that, but we're all learners, because being a disciple is a lifelong practice. But as we learn and learn to follow, it can be so helpful to follow people who are more mature. I can't imagine where my faith would be without my parents and without so many elders and pastors that have shaped me along the way and some authors who wrote books that really like influenced my life. I was in Nairobi a few years ago, and the church leaders there uh, we were working with, they had this saying, I don't, maybe it's in South Africa too, but they had this saying, like, follow me as I follow Christ. And they, we're gonna go do some ministry, follow me as I follow Christ. We're gonna go worship, follow me as I follow Christ. We're about to cross this, like, dangerously busy street, follow me as I follow Christ. <laughs> and the point is, imitate people who are imitating Jesus, because ultimately we follow Jesus alone. He is our shepherd. But Jesus, his spirit lives in people as well. And part of the reason we need this model is because if we're not following people who are going to lead us in the right direction, sadly, there are people who will lead us in the wrong direction. Verse 18, for as I've often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul is saying this weeping. He has tears. He's not talking about these people angrily. He's heartbroken over this. He's torn up like, like we should be because I think Paul probably has specific people in mind back in the church in Philippi, people who are probably his friends who maybe have fallen away. There really are people, sadly, that we, we shouldn't follow and they might be in the church, they might be outside the church. Maybe they're leading us astray intentionally, but maybe it's just accidental and that's why we need to look to mature and trusted Christ followers and ultimately Jesus because he leads us with all authority. Real quickly, how do we identify those people? Two main ways. We identify them by their fruit. That means maybe we look at them and we're just astonished by their awesome character, the way that they're just holding it together when everybody else is falling apart. Maybe they don't complain when the rest of the world really wants to groan, or maybe they don't care about this thing in the culture that everybody's like obsessed with, and they're like, not that that thing's bad necessarily, but their eyes are just on the Lord. Their eyes are just somewhere else. So we should be looking for these countercultural, sort of bizarrely but super attractive people and the fruit that they're bearing to know, are they actually mature? 
Are their lives more like Jesus than mine? And that's the reason we were so drawn to this church because there were people here who's like, if I'm more like that in five years, I will be so blessed. If you see people like that, follow him. Second, if they're preaching nothing but the gospel of Christ alone and him crucified, if she's doing that, follow her. So follow Christ followers. So when you're tired and when you can't see your way out, we have people who are mature followers of Jesus and then we can let them raise our eyes to him. All right, we're bringing it in now. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven as we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Our citizenship is in heaven. Think about how amazing that is. The significance is that as citizens, we have the full rights and the full privileges and the full also responsibilities of our country of destiny, of our country of identity. I talked at the beginning about running in God's grace toward glory, and this is, this is what I'm getting at. We live here and now we live here and now as citizens of the kingdom, of citizens of heaven. Philippi, the church that Paul's writing to, was a, a city with the highest Roman honors of any city outside of Italy. And that means it, it was considered a, a commonwealth, which is like they belonged to Rome, but they weren't all the way Romans yet. But they had special honor and privilege. And the, the Christians today in the world are something like this because the church is like heaven's commonwealth in the world where we're living out of that, where we have special honor and privileges and also special responsibilities because we are part of God's body here and now. All right, and then we await our savior from there. Our savior from there. That's when all of this will happen. That's when the resurrection will happen. That's when our full glorification will happen. The final finish line, when Jesus comes to usher in home, and I, I would love, I wish we could talk about this so much more. I want the church to talk about this more because this is so beautiful. By the power he uses to restore and to bring everything under control and to bring us all the way home, he will transform us to be like him, not just in our spirit, but also in our bodies. He, he promises to glorify our physical selves and to bring us into life with him. And this is the fullness of Christ-likeness. And I don't know about you, but I cannot wait for that. I just want to go toward that. I want to be like Jesus, to fully know him as I am fully known and to take hold of him all the way as he has taken hold of me. But even now, as we wait for that fullness, even as we're running, we live as citizens of heaven now because we are and because we always will be. And just, just to finish, I just want to apply this and to pray for us that we would see the race for what it is and we'd also see the prize for what it is and who he is. So if we can just pray. Father, we do, we long for you. We just wanna be where you are. Thank you that we can know you now, that you're working, your, your kingdom is breaking in now and that you're reaching for us and we just wanna reach back. If there are any here who don't know you, who are not yet reaching, I pray that they would just feel your arms around them. They would feel your fingertips. They would feel your voice call to them and that you would lead them to you. 
that you would pick them up, Lord. And for those of us who do know you, just grow us in maturity to forget what's behind and just to be straining joyfully towards you and following together. Give us strength to run. Give us that grace that you've already given us. And when there are times when we can't run, God, I just pray that you would carry us. You would carry us in our race. We praise you for that. We know and trust that your grace will see us through to the finish line, not in our power, but in what you've already done for us. Thank you, Jesus. We cannot wait to reach the prize, becoming truly conformed to your glorious, glorious image. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening. To stay up to date, follow at Anthem Church Chicago and visit us, anthemforall.org. Anthem Church, all of Jesus for everyone.